KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The United States Supreme Court heard arguments yesterday on the executive branch's powers to set priorities in enforcing immigration laws. So I want you to hear a little bit of what was said. Um, John Brown, Cronkite News, talking about and getting some audio. What does shall mean? To the state of Texas and to some justices, the answer is obvious. The law says undocumented immigrants shall be deported and immigration officers don't have discretion in the matter. So um, the question here is about enforcement and what they can do for as enforcement goes. Now, there is difference. Be, there is a difference between policy and law. And I'm not a lawyer, but one of the first things I heard from a lawyer is you got to pay attention to contracts because um, when you talk about a contract, because the verbiage can be interpreted differently. So you got to make sure it's locked in. So in a contract, let's just say you have a contract and it says, you know, you're in, if you are fired without cause, if you are let go without cause, your employer may pay you for the f- fulfillment of the entire contract. It's a big difference between they may pay you and they shall pay you. May and shall. Those two words completely change things. The law says they shall be deported. Um, and this is now uh, um, this is now from the Solicitor General's office about what the government's problem is. There are non-citizens out there who have criminal convictions for serious offenses like murder and sex offenses that, that wouldn't qualify under a shall because of the court's categorical approach. And that means we wouldn't have the resources or ability to go after those individuals who are threats to public safety, national security and border security. So what the the argument here is this, that we are going after, and I say we because it's our government. Uh, the federal government is going after the worst offenders and criminals that are in the country illegally. They're not going after other people that are in the country illegally. That's still a violation of the law. So what is it that we should do? They're saying, listen, if we go deport everybody and if that's our goal, so we are just as soon as we find someone that's in the country illegally, we go and deport them. Then what we're doing is tying up resources so that we can't go after the very dangerous people that are here illegally. What I find infuriating on one hand and humorous in a weird way is they are making everybody else's case against them for them. What I mean by that is this porous open border that we have. We continue to hear about the border crossers that are coming across. The administration highlights, and I believe to be mostly true, that people that are coming here illegally are just people starved for a better life. They are fleeing countries that are either war-torn or so economically disadvantaged they can't make a living and they're coming for a better life. I, you know, I guess I would be putting the same light on it that they are if I were in their position and I was failing as badly as they are. But that's been their position. And now when they're called off, uh, called out on not obeying the law, they say, well, we're going after the really bad people that are here illegally. That's why we need a secure border. I'll go into another direction with this, and I know you could we could probably accomplish both. But if you remember that the uh, the, the law that was just passed and signed by the president is going to employ 87,000 new IRS workers, 87,000. So we have a budget. We have set aside a budget that is going to employ people, whether they're all enforcement agents at the IRS, we don't know, but they are hiring 87,000 additional IRS employees. Why? So let's apply the same logic. Let's apply the same logic. We don't hire new IRS workers. We leave it the way it is. And then the excuse is this. Well, 
we can only go after the worst offenders that are cheating on their taxes because if we went after everybody, we wouldn't be able to go after the worst offenders. So the the answer to that problem is we allocate the money to hire and train more enforcement so that we go and get more and more people to pay their taxes. That's their logic. Why are they not applying that logic to the border? This is um, frustrating because, as I've said before, I am a pro-immigration person. We could solve a lot of our problems with a shift in laws that would allow people to come here legally. And I think that that's going to be the dodge from the federal government eventually is going to be, let's say the Supreme Court ends up saying you can't. The law says what you shall do. You're in violation of that law if you're not doing it, especially when you put – Put forward policies on limited deportation and targeted deportation, you are in direct violation of the law. I think the next maneuver from the administration before this session of Congress is over is they are going to find a try to find a pathway to citizenship or at least legal status for so many more people so that they won't they'll still be here. They just won't be deemed as illegally here anymore. And this is where our problems lie. There's no one is making uh, the right decision. You know, people are the assumption that if you are, especially now because we've had such a migration in recent years of people from Mexico and Central America, that if you are a Latino, that you are automatically in favor of illegal immigration or okay with illegal immigration. And that is not the case. People that I know that have come from countries all over the world, whether they are Spanish speaking or not, um, they are, if they're legal immigrants, if they've done it the right way and they've become American citizens, they are not in favor Largely, they are not in favor of illegal immigration. They want people to do it the right way. We all welcome people that do it the right way. We have screwed up by calling everybody an immigrant. Because, again, that's like calling a shoplifter a customer. It's not a felony. Shoplifting's not a felony unless you steal something really big. But if you go into a grocery store and you steal something and then they call you a customer, you're not a customer. You're a shoplifter. And so when we call everybody an immigrant, we are what we're doing. I, I understand not wanting to insult people. I don't want to insult people. But what you're doing is diminishing the respect we give to people that have done it the right way. And again, I'll use the shoplifting analogy. I've done this before. There is a big difference between someone that goes in and steals, you know, 14 ribeye steaks And someone that goes in and takes baby formula because their child is hungry. They both committed a crime. There's no doubt about that. It's probably going to be handled differently by people. But we acknowledge that they're both crimes. You can't allow people to steal. You find a way to help people that are in need. And you get rid of the people that are committing crimes. And this is such a frustrating thing that's going on because so many people are looking at this and we're calling people immigrants that are here illegally. We have diminished real legal immigration and it's a sad thing and people are souring on immigration in this country and we shouldn't be. We certainly shouldn't be. How much will Arizona spend on the voucher program for schools, the expansion of ESA? How much will they spend this year? We'll talk about that number coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
If you know a Remarkable Valley teacher deserving of a $2,500 check, then you can just text the word teacher to 411923 and nominate a teacher for our Pay Tribute to a Teacher program. That's teacher to 411923. It's Pay Tribute to a Teacher presented by your Valley Toyota dealers. While we're on the subject of schools and teachers, um, the ESA expansion program, the voucher program in Arizona... We'll spend about $313 million on education vouchers this school year. Since the end of last year, the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program has more than doubled in size. It now covers more students than many school districts in, uh, in the state. Families can use the funds for tuition at a private school, tutoring services, therapy services, learning materials like books and art supplies. Um, and there are a lot of people that are very upset about this. And I, I wondered why that is. When they say because taking that money out is going to weaken public schools. I would argue differently. What I think the long term effects of this is going to be is competition and competition breeds excellence and for the teachers out there that want and I believe deserve more money you're going to get it when you show yourself to be a better teacher than the people around you it just makes sense if you look at the and I know it's not a direct correlation but college campuses have uh, spend really big money on professors when they drive full classrooms and lecture halls they pay people, you know, who known people, Elizabeth Warren and others, make huge dollars by teaching college courses at Ivy League schools because they draw in tuition dollars. People that can take that tuition money and go everywhere else. If colleges, if we had colleges in the same way that we have public schools. If you lived in, you know, if you lived in the valley, you had to go to ASU or you had to go if you lived in Northern or you were required to go to those schools. If we had districts for colleges, they'd be immensely different. But because of the competition, there is a reason why Michael Crow makes the money that he makes. Dr. Crow makes the money he makes because he has transformed Arizona State University from being known as a big party school into one of the best research schools and engineering schools. And you look what they've done with Cronkite and the great students we have that work in this building that are products of the Cronkite School, um, uh, the business management school, and the other things that they have done have transformed those places. Why? The need for growth and the need for change to compete in this world. Competition breeds excellence and that helps everybody. If you are a really good teacher, your students love you, your student parents love you because the children are learning, you are going to be sought after and you're going to demand a higher paycheck or you're going to go to a school that is performing that can pay you. I believe that to be true. And aside from that, the other part of this that I think is terrific is it gives working class households an opportunity to go to a better school and put themselves in a better situation. I told my story on the air. I'll abbreviate it. In my family, I'm the oldest of three brothers. My middle brother and I went to the same high school, a public high school, good high school, decent high school. Neither one of us went into college. I went into the, uh, I went into work, the workforce. He went into the military. Our youngest brother was a scholarship kid to a school like a brophy. He was given an academic scholarship to go to a prep school, played football and baseball, went to college, graduated with honors, the first and only person in our family to do that. And you cannot tell me that when he was given an opportunity to be in an academic situation like that, where he was surrounded by people where the expectation was college, the expectation was good grades, that all of that was expected of you, it changed the way he saw education, graduated from college. And I think, and we were dirt poor. We had no, my mother had no money. Had my brother not gotten that, we would have been immensely different. We would have just been different, all of us, but certainly him. 
giving working class families that have the acumen, that have the ability. Like my brother, he was he was the most improved student in his middle school, his eighth grade year. Out of the entire school, the most improved student. So you take a kid like that that has an opportunity now to go to somewhere else and parents have the choice with the tax dollars. It's going to drag some of these kids out of some of the situations they're in and we will not see the vast improvement or the uh, the outcome of all of this for 10 years. But I'm telling you it works. It's worked in my family. It's going to work in so many other families whether it's a scholarship opportunity or it's parents and let's not forget they are only in control of their tax dollars. That's where the issue is for me here is. We've got to shift our minds. The government's not giving anybody any money. It's you being able to take your money and spend it the way you see fit for your child's education. I've always said the the mind shift for people about uh, taxes, that a tax cut is not the government giving you anything. It's them taking less from you in the first place. It's your money to begin with. They're taking less of it with a tax cut. And here, it's your tax dollars. Not only are they your children, it's your money. You now have the possibility to earmark your money to go to where you want it to go. And it takes children and it drags them out of situations for that are bad for them or not as – it may not even be a bad situation. It puts them in a position to be in the best position. And I don't know how anybody could be against that unless, of course, you are someone that wants to control the dollars. This is about control. It always has been and it always will be. And I don't care where you stand on any of the social issues in schools or any of the curriculum issues in schools. You could be complete opposite of me in your thought process. I still believe you have a right to dictate where your child goes to school and you can take the dollars to do it. I believe that to be true for everyone, and it certainly is. So this program, I think, is a good one. And, you know, there's reasons why people want more school choice, and the politics and education is one of the reasons. Coming up in a moment, um, does free speech come with a price? Does it cost you money for free speech? That's one complaint when it comes to Twitter and paying the money every month. We're going to talk about free speech coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, This is an op-ed piece written in the Washington Post that says, to be very clear, free speech is when you give me money. So here's the premise. Free speech is when you pay me money for goods or services. That's free speech. When you do not give me money, that is censorship. Every second that you spend not paying me money for my service is another arrow stuck in the craw of liberty. So um, it says, uh, please give me thousands of dollars if it's the only thing I can say uh, say here, even if you must give them to me in small increments of eight. $8 at a time, that's better than nothing. Here's what's so fascinating about this. I don't know if anybody else finds this fascinating, but I do, about Twitter. The idea that people are outraged at uh, Elon Musk having Twitter. He can do whatever he wants with his billions of dollars. Shut it down if he wants to, and it doesn't limit your speech at all. It doesn't limit your ability to speak freely at all. You're paying $8 a month to speak your mind on his platform. Period. That's it. I have every right to speak just like you do. I interact with people on social media all the time. I have a different platform than most people do. 
I have this platform, but that doesn't mean your speech is being limited. It just means I have a different platform. The idea of taking away speech is when you're punished for the things you say, and usually by the government. I'm not a big fan of the cancel culture. I think it's ridiculous. I find it somehow fascinating that the hatred that goes around for Elon Musk and all these other things that are happening around Twitter, and it's a threat to this and and misinformation. And, you know, look around or talk to if you've never been to, and I have not, I've never been to a communist country. Have never been. Closest I've been is California. But um, it, it is, it's interesting to me that that was, that was a joke. Uh, listen, if you're from L.A., it was just a joke. Um, everything is sold as fairness and honesty. You don't think that the Chinese government and the way they control the media and what their citizens hear and see isn't sold to them as it's in their best interest because their truth police want to make sure they're only getting accurate information. Imagine, imagine, let's go back and let's let's flip the script on this just for a minute. Imagine if you've ever seen the movie uh, Good Morning Vietnam about Adrian Cronauer. There was a scene in the movie where they were censoring what he was allowed to say on the radio. They were putting X through teletypes where they said it wasn't accurate information. And so the military, because he was a a soldier, he was in the military. Um, He was – was he in the Air Force? But he was in the military, and he was a a, a famous broadcaster during the Vietnam War. And – They were censoring what he was able to say because he worked for the military. Again, it was their platform. But the principle is still the same. If our government was saying, okay, what I do for a living, I give my opinions on things. But if they if I was told what I can and can't talk about, if we were limited, that's taking away your free speech. If they took away this platform, it's not limiting my speech. It's taking away a platform that was given to me. If you don't like what Twitter does, leave it. Walk away. And if they don't like what you do, they'll kick you off. You still have a right to speak. But what Elon Musk is saying is if you want to speak on my platform and you want to be verified or whatever this new process is called, it's going to cost you eight bucks a month. If it's not worth eight dollars a month for you, then don't spend the money. I know it sounds oversimplified, but it's as simple as that. What's interesting about it is um, I'll give you another example, and it's the opposite. I'm a huge music fan, and I love Metallica. Metallica is coming here to Arizona. They're going to be doing two shows at State Farm Stadium. And VIP tickets, I think, are like 1500 bucks a piece. And you got to buy two shows. I think Friday and Sunday. It's two separate concerts, I believe. where They're not going to do the same set twice, is what I mean. And... The cheap seats are around 100 bucks. That's all the way up at the top of the stadium. If you want to go and watch Metallica, you got to pay the money. If you want to go and watch them in concert, you've got to pay what they're going to charge. And if people aren't willing to pay it, then they'll have to lower their prices. But as long as the demand is out there, you got to pay to play. So I don't understand I don't understand why people are so angry about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. The idea of misinformation. So I want let's get this straight with most of the people that complain about misinformation. Number 1, you believe you're smart enough to decipher misinformation. You know the truth when you hear it and you know lies when you hear them. But there are other people out there and most of the other people out there are dumb and they're just going to fall for the misinformation. 
They're just they're So what happens? What should be the punishment for misinformation? You know, we know the misinformation that came with the Hunter Biden laptop stuff. We know that was all misinformation. What should be done? What punishment? Because when you talk about punishment for um, whether it's COVID-19, for vaccines or masks or any other thing out there that you want to deem dangerous because that's what they do. That's what they do. In China, the free speech in China is people are protesting in the streets because of COVID lockdowns. What is the Chinese government? Why are they employing the military? Because they say the protesters are a danger to society. You marginalize them, then you demonize them. You call them dangerous. What they're doing is marching in the streets and saying, you are locking us in our homes. We are tired of being locked up. Well, here in America, that's an everyday occurrence. Not locking up the protest. Go to Washington, D.C. I don't even have to agree with a protest to appreciate it. Go to why one of the things about D.C. is there's a protest almost every day somewhere. People are marching somewhere in D.C. And it is the cornerstone of who we are that we can march in the streets of the capital of this country and protest something the government is doing or not doing without any repercussion from the federal government. As long as you stay within, you're not destroying property. But you know what I mean. We, that This is what we can do. Free speech means you have the ability to speak. No one has to give you a platform. I don't have to, I don't have to put somebody on this show. I don't have to bring on opposing views. I don't have to do any of those things. I do it because I think it's the right thing to do, and it makes for a more interesting conversation. But this is my platform, at least for now. I can do what I want with it. And I'm not limiting somebody's speech because I won't share it with them. So these these conversations about um, limiting speech and it's only free speech if somebody pays for it is sour grapes from people that just don't like the political stance and the direction that Elon Musk is taking his platform that he paid billions of dollars for. And if he's as bad at this job as everyone is saying that he is, the company will fold. That's the way the market works. So uh, I'm just anxious to see how it all ends up going. Um, In a moment, we are going to speak with Eric Moses. He's the executive director of the Fiesta Bowl. I cannot wait to talk to him about the Fiesta Bowl and what an impact it has here in Arizona. It is just such a great event. I love it so much. I can't wait to talk to him. It's going to happen here in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, I love the game of football, and I especially love college football. Uh, Growing up in South Florida like I did, it is such a hotbed for college football, and this Fiesta Bowl is one of the greatest events in college football. It always has been. Being part of the playoffs is an even bigger part of it. Joining us right now is Eric Moses, the CEO of the Fiesta Bowl. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me. I got to tell you, I have a love-hate relationship with the Fiesta Bowl because I am a Miami Hurricane. (laughs) We have not exactly fared well in the Fiesta Bowl. (laughs) Look, I'm a fellow ACC guy, so be be happy that your Canes have gotten to the Fiesta Bowl. My Tar Heels haven't been to anything that big in a long, long time. I have to tell you, the visions of uh, getting off the airplane in fatigues and then watching Joe Paterno beat us down and that call in the end zone with Ohio State, I will never forget that as a fan, and that's just a testament to the Fiesta Bowl. Such great memories for teams, win or lose. 
Yeah, a lot of my college football memories have, have been around the Fiesta Bowl. You know, that Tommy Frazier run, uh, you know, back in the early 90s, uh, obviously the Boise State game. There have been so many great games in the Fiesta Bowl. And, you know, the, the idea is to continue to make those kinds of memories for football fans and for Arizonans uh, going forward for years to come. You know, a lot of times uh, a game is uh, the, the, the um, atmosphere of a game is dictated by where the game is played, whether it was at Sun Devil Stadium or State farm stadium but this game really brings the atmosphere with it wherever wherever it is yeah because you know you're going to see two top-notch teams fighting it out for uh especially in this year for for the pursuit of a national championship and uh you know college football and i think college sports in general we get so much more passion because these guys aren't yet professionals you know they're doing this to make memories for many of them really most of them these might be their last memories of playing the game that they love and have played since they were children. And so I think that raises the atmosphere for everybody, the players and the fans included. Yeah, people don't realize that just because you're in college doesn't mean you're going on to the pros. And many of these athletes, even starters on teams, realize their last game is played many times on that field at the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, I might think about all the guys of the former Hurricanes that were standouts that that played at Miami, but you never saw a play in, in, in the league. Yeah, you know, those guys have been have been top dogs for for as long as they can remember. But but many of them understand that this may be their last hurrah, and so uh, we're happy to be able to have the privilege to host those kinds of efforts and those kinds of players and teams uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, and frankly, in the Guaranteed Rate Bowl as well. And, and and people don't realize the economic impact. Can you talk just a little bit about the economic impact that that bowl game brings to Arizona? Huge, huge. I mean, you know, what folks have to understand is that the Fiesta Bowl organization is is a nonprofit that really is intended to to bring incremental dollars, tourism dollars uh, into Arizona. And, and what we're able to do as a result of that, as a result of people buying tickets and, and beer and popcorn and the parking and staying in hotels and eating in our restaurants, is we're able to take those dollars and put them back into the community where it's really needed. That so was this the- year we gave away a million... Sorry, this year we gave away a million dollars to teachers. I mean, think about the direct impact that those dollars have in those classrooms with those young people. And that's because of these two football games. Yeah, and that was the my next question was about the charitable giving because the benevolence is also off I mean off the charts. Yeah, it really is. And and you know, as I said to the team when, when I when I first met them a couple of weeks ago, I said Few of us have the opportunity to do something as a vocation every day and then to be able to, you know, a couple months later, see the direct impact on real people's lives in a way that we're able to at the Fiesta Bowl organization. To see the smiles on the faces, not only of the fans that are in the stands watching these games, but then of the teachers and the young people and the nonprofit executives that benefit from from the charity that Fiesta Bowl Charities is able, able to help them with. As a fan, is there a game you're hoping to see here? Um, I mean, I was until very recently hoping coming from Nashville, Tennessee, to see UT play uh, against Michigan. But I don't think that's going to happen the way things have, have, have gone. And so, look, I just want a really good game. I think a Big Ten team, um, you know, a Michigan-USC game could be incredible. Uh, you know, right now it looks like it would be Michigan-TCU for us. And so that, I think, would be a great game. It would be the first time that those teams have ever played. And so we just want two strong teams who have – 
rabid fans who want to come enjoy the Valley of the Sun and see their teams battle it out in the pursuit of a national championship. Yeah, and the other thing that this game brings, kind of like a Super Bowl does, is the national attention, not just watching the game inside the stadium, but every time they come back from commercial, that shot from South Mountain or wherever it is that shows the Valley and the great weather we're having at a time when much of the country is under, the, you know, under snow, and it just shows off the greatness of this Valley, which is another Chamber of Commerce moment that you can't buy. No, you can't. And, and Mike, every every time I touch down in, in Phoenix and, and look at those mountains surrounding the area, I, I say to whoever's with me, do you all actually get accustomed to this? Does this become normal to look at these mountains that look like they were painted in the background? Is this something that you just go ho-hum after a while? Because it's breathtaking to me each time I see it. Well, Eric, it is great to talk with you. I hope to get to meet you in person someday, and, I, and I, I'm glad you're carrying on the great work that the Fiesta Bowl brings here and the dollars that these bowl games bring to the Valley, and uh, we're glad you're here, and we hope that this is great as ever. Well, thank you. Thanks for your support, and look forward to meeting you real soon. All right, thanks. That is Eric Moses, CEO and Executive Director of the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, I love football anyway, but this is, this is truly one of those events that the nation will be watching, the sports-watching world will be paying attention to what happens here. It is one of the great events, and it benefits Arizona economically, but as he also said, the charitable contributions it makes to, to Valley, I shouldn't say just Valley, but Arizona-based organizations is immense as well, so we're lucky to have that game here and to have it always be such a big bowl game, but now being a part of the playoff and a, and a run for the national championship is huge for Arizona, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's still happening. What we're going to do coming up just after 10 o'clock is we're going to go back to the election. And the reason why we are is we're going to talk about Cochise County and not certifying their election. That's what the big story is. But what are the implications of that? What happens if they don't certify? What happens to those votes? Are Is this going to be something that is uh, long-term damage or is this actually going to be helpful to the situation? So all that's coming up in the beginning of the next hour, so please stick around for it.